Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. So if I were to say to uh, anyone, what, what's in one sentence, like what is the premise, the thesis of the show? One of the things I would be tempted to say is the importance of being real, the importance of being authentic uh, in a world where there's so much plasticity, there's so much superficiality. And I think that's one of the reasons that was the, the catalyst uh, to me launching the show. A very special person, a special guest who's in the studio with us, I think personifies real, Andrea Ashley, who you folks will get to know over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, who hosts uh, the uh, Adult Child podcast, has taken a very courageous journey, which takes which, which causes a person to be raw, real, and authentic. And obviously, I'm going to tell, and Andrea will tell us a story. But Andrea, when I started the Anthony Gordon Show, um, really, a lot of the reason why I did this is that I felt, as someone who's out on the speaking circuit and meeting tons of people, is that as a result of, I think, social media, as a result of sort of putting certain people on a pedestal. There's so many folks that I met that were trying to be someone that they're not. They reacting to likes and, uh, you know, and, and the whole sense of their, their self-worth is so commensurate with, you know, what's happening is that there's such a dissonance between who they really are inside and, and who they're pretending to be. So what I'd like to do, and I, I always try and think of what the audience would be thinking is, for the sake of putting this in context, you've had an incredibly painful um, journey. You've surmounted, um, you know, I think tremendous, tremendous um, stumbling blocks and made them into stepping stones. So I think the best thing is, can you give us a context of your journey? Um, and for the sake of the audience, explain the concept of adult child. Sure. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about social media and everything, you know, I, I've always considered myself to be a little bit of like a social media stalker. Like I've never been one to post. I just like to see what everything is, <laughs> what other people are doing. And so that was the thing with launching this podcast, which I'll get into, but I knew that in order to be successful, yep. that I would have to post, you know, I would have to do this stuff. And it's, yep. it's crazy. Cause I decided to try TikTok, which I had never done it before. I thought it was only for like 16 year olds, but <laughs> I had a, a video go viral. And within a couple of hours, I gained a thousand new followers. 
That's insane. And it like all of a sudden it like made sense to me, you know, it's, it's how addictive and it's, you're constantly looking and checking and stuff like that. So the, the, um, you yeah. mean the rush of suddenly having a whole bunch of people responding to you? Yes. Yes. Um, it, it was interesting, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but it's still honestly not something that I particularly, well, I, I do and I do and don't enjoy it, but we can get into that later. But the connection, the way that I've been able to connect with people has been amazing. So, um, we can kind of get a little bit more into my childhood, um, later on, but I guess I just want to kind of talk about what was the, the pivotal moment that kind of led me to creating, you know, this podcast. So, you know, I got sober, um, at 19, um, and I can get into my drinking and drug use later on, but okay. it is generally recommended. It's not a requirement, but it is generally recommended that you do not date in your first year of recovery. Okay. And this is for two reasons. The first being one that just, just for the sake of our, 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 um, sorry to interrupt. Let's have an audience. Yes. We just, is, is the definition of the first year of recovery is the first full year that you've been dry, the first full year that you yeah. are. Okay. Yeah. So technically, yeah. I mean, it would be like your first year, like when you get a year of sobriety, it's not like it. if you're just coming in and out and, you know, relapsing every week, that wouldn't okay. count. So yes, it's generally gotcha. recommended that you wait to start dating mm -hmm. until you have one year of continuous sobriety. Makes sense. And so this is recommended for a couple of reasons. The first being that a high of a new relationship can often be used as the substitute to, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. So then yep. when these relationships end, which they often do, yeah. you are at a greater risk for relapse. The other reason that it's not recommended is because of something that I've deemed BPS, broken picker syndrome. We do not technically usually walk into the rooms of recovery with high self-esteem, high mm -hmm. self-worth, a plethora of healthy romantic relationship oh. experiences. So we will pretty much date anyone, right? And so that was my experience. And so you know, so I didn't stay sober. I didn't stay single for that first year and neither did a lot of my friends. And yes, I, our pickers were so broken. I don't, I don't but what lose, started, go ahead. I don't want you to lose your flow, but. No, I understand. You want me to clarify. You're bubbling with so much phenomenal stuff, but I just want to not lose um, one thought. And that is, is the reason why uh, a person who goes to any addiction, any kind of substance, the fact that they feel like garbage, is it because they feel they don't have self-control is it because usually the fact that they started substance abuse was to try and neutralize a pain from something that's very troubling and that still hasn't been resolved? Is it because they look around and they say, wow, you know, Sally and Michelle were high school with me and look how far they are in their life. And I'm sitting here and I'm in an AA program and woe is me or all three. I think it's all three, but I think what it really boils down to, and, and this is at least in my opinion, is that, um, you know, addiction and alcoholism, it's, it's also a spiritual disease, right? So for me, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a disconnection from self. Um, okay. yeah, it is. I mean, cause you're not living as your true self. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a physical, emotional and, you know, mental, spiritual disease. Yep. So I think there's, you know, quite, you know, some people, they come in and they've lost everything. Right. Right. Um, and there's other people who are more high bottom drunks where, I mean, we just typically do not No, we don't feel great about ourselves. Right. And that's the reason why right. we've used the substances is because I guess what, and along with your point, right. Is 
the reason that we come in and we don't feel great about ourselves is because the drugs and the alcohol is the symptom. Okay. It's not the problem. Right. We use drugs and alcohol to mask, to avoid pain, problems, fears, trauma. Okay. So then that's why you strip that away and you're not feeling super great about yourself or your life. But there is such a thing called the pink cloud where okay. some people feel that when they first come into sobriety and they feel super duper right away, but usually not. Okay. So, okay. okay. For folks out there that are listening that have not had to deal with the trauma. And obviously I listened to a few of your episodes and I've got a sense of who you are. Um, help us understand the, how your journey can be important uh, life tools for a ton of people out there that are post-pandemic, highly anxious, depressed, freaked out, lost their job, not sure how to pivot, uh, life's going, passing them by. For, for someone who might not have had such a tough um, sort of road to her as you have, how are some of the tools that you've learned as someone who's really been through this very courageous journey how can how can some of those tools be useful for folks that might not have really can't really empathize with someone who's had it so tough as you have as a real as an adult child <laughs> it's a hard question to to answer right because i feel like um at least my experience has been that through great pain comes great change yeah um so for me pain has always been um the catalyst to transformation. But I think that we might be able to get into that a little bit more because I think that there might be some people out there who maybe don't view what they went through as trauma yeah. or don't think that they had a traumatic upbringing that perhaps throughout this conversation, they might um, point. get. So let me just, I'll just quickly. So basically my friends pickers improved my pickers didn't. Okay. And the guys weren't getting any better. Maybe they got a little bit better on paper, but yeah. not really. And my type is emotionally unavailable and often active alcoholics, right? So I'm a sober alcoholic and I'm okay. dating these active alcoholics. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And not only were the men not improving, I was getting worse and worse in each relationship. I felt crazier. I acted crazier. And I became essentially a, a hostage to any relationship that I entered. Wow. And at seven years sober, I had a aha. You can hear about it in my first episode of my podcast. It's called yeah. The Tale of Two Bryans. Yeah, but I basically what I, re I came to realize was that this was all rooted in childhood that this was unresolved childhood pain mm -hmm. that I had not addressed. Now, I had always known that my childhood had been less than ideal, but I also knew that other people had had it way worse than I had. I was never physically abused. I was never sexually abused. Okay. And I had worked through some of that stuff through the 12 steps, but okay. I didn't have any idea that what I experienced was abuse because my parents never intentionally tried to harm me. And I never considered what I went through as trauma because there was never mm -hmm. one single catastrophic event. And I never thought that my childhood had a lasting impact on me because I've always been able to talk about it without getting upset. But it was through that process that I okay. learned that I did what I did endure was it, it does qualify as abuse and that I did experience trauma and that Are you comfortable it, telling the audience a little bit about hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So 
Um, so I, yeah, so I grew up, um, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I'm, I'm an only child, middle upper class family. Um, uh, things looked very nice from the outside. And so, um, when I was seven, I learned that my mother was an alcoholic. So we were out okay. to dinner. I could tell that something was off. Um, and I asked her later, I said, what's wrong? And she told me that she was an alcoholic uh, given that I was seven, I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> and I asked and she said, that means I can't drink, but, um, but nothing was ever the same for me after that night. Like, I feel wow. like I went to bed that night and I woke up like skipping several stages of development, you know? And, um, my dad traveled often for work, which is often when my mom drank the most. Mm -hmm. Um, and thank God, nothing horrible ever happened, but mm -hmm. you know, I stepped into that, you know, caretaker role, which, yep, yep. Yeah. And then, and then my dad, you know, what was going on in our home was a secret, you know, from the rest of the world. And so I was also played the role of like my dad's emotional confidant and support. Right. And so, so the carefree um, teenage years were, uh, I mean, well, this is seven, that. eight, this is eight, like seven, eight, nine. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like my, and when my dad was in town, like uh, going into the liquor cabinet and like taking a paint stick and measuring and monitoring how much is, <laughs> you know, in each level. And to me, um, obviously because I had the alcoholism addiction gene and stuff like the way that I handled it, that was all very exciting to me. Right. That's how I believe that my first addiction was to the dysfunction that was in my home. I remember sitting on the stairs, listening to my parents argue and just getting an adrenaline rush. Wow. Um, and that was just the way that I handled it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, so at nine years old, I started to develop separation anxiety with my mom. Okay. And they send me to a, a psychologist, a child psychologist. Just, and, just, me, just uh, double check. So it, your dad was traveling. Your mom just had told you at age of seven uh, that she was an alcoholic. So was the fear of separation from your mom, even though? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it started with like, I couldn't spend the night away from home. Okay. And then, um, and then it, it transformed into, I would fall asleep in my own bed at night. And yep. in the middle of the night, I would go and switch places with my dad. And now in hindsight, like I realized what this was is when my dad was out of town, sometimes I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and mm -hmm. go, I would go and like sleep in my mom's bed. Like it was kind of like a sleepover. And I remember one time in particular, I went to go in there and the light was still on oh, wow. and she had passed out downstairs. And so that was like kind of the routine of like, I would have to you know, carry her up to bed. So I think that that's why that started to where like one day I woke up in the middle of the night, both of my parents were there and I was just in this panic mm. and I had to sleep in her bed. Like I had, and so that like started this cycle of me falling asleep in my own bed. And then obviously yeah. none of this is conscious at the time, right? Like I didn't yeah, have sure. the realization. So, you know, my parents sent me to a therapist and um, I remember years later asking, like, did you ever tell the therapist what was going on in our home? Like, did you tell them that you were an alcoholic and that you and dad fought all the time? And, and no. And so it was in that moment that I became the scapegoat of the family. Right. Did you realize that one second, my mom's an alcoholic, my dad's traveling. It's a volatile relationship. And I'm, and I'm the kid that goes to therapy. What's the spot, the mistake. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I didn't realize it then. I, I realized it pretty quickly after maybe like four or five years later. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting. And I asked my therapist this, right? Because I, I asked her, I said, why didn't I say something to the therapist? Um, you were a kid. Weren't you a kid? Yes. 
But, but because the reason that I asked her, I said, because my parents never told me my, my, it wasn't like my mom or my dad told me you can't talk about this, Mm -hmm. but it didn't matter because that was the behavior that had been modeled to me. We don't talk about this. Um, and, and so then, uh, so that happens. And then, you know, I kind of get over those issues, but then I start acting out at 12. That's when I start drinking and using drugs. Um, and you know, I think that the separation anxiety was, was part of my way of screaming to the world for help, right? Like our family. And when that didn't work, I think I stepped it up, you know, a notch. Um, and so then that's like, you know, when I start drinking and using drugs and getting into trouble at school and, you know, I get kicked out of the private school in seventh grade and Mm. guess what? That worked. Meaning my mom stopped drinking and my parents stopped fighting. And I became the focus of the family then from 12 to 19. Like when I started acting out through drinking and drugs and I'm getting sent to rehabs and I'm getting sent to boarding schools Mm -hmm. They had to keep their shit together to deal with me. And do you think that they uh, sort of crossed their mind that, you know, the reason why our one and only child, Andrea, is maybe it's not exactly, uh, you know, a cakewalk growing up around us? Yes. Yes, to an extent. Um, But... I don't know. They were doing all the things like, yes, they were to an extent, but at that point it was kind of like the damage was done. And then, like I said, I became the focus of the family. And, um, so they stepped into action. Um, and I'm really grateful for that because, you know, I got sent to treatment for the first time at 14, um, you know, in and out of outpatient rehab, sent to boarding schools. And I'm so, you know, even though, um, I was being scapegoated. I was being deemed the identified patient. Um, They were very present for all of my stuff, like for all of my therapies and stuff. It just wasn't that they weren't doing their, you know, this is a family disease, right? This is a family disease of alcoholism, addiction. Everybody plays a role. They weren't necessarily working on their own individual parts. um, If that makes sense. No, it does. So, so what I will say, I was talking about how I'm grateful that they did all took that action because, um, in a way, I almost feel like it sped up my disease because, I mean, they were on me. Like, they put a security system on the house to keep me in, like, not to keep people out. Like, they were on my ass. And so that, in a way, almost pushed me to, it kind of, like, revved up my disease. Like, I had to go to, like, further, like, for example, so I get sent to treatment for the first time inpatient four days after my 14th birthday. And when I got out, I was being drug tested on a weekly basis. So what that caused me to do was to figure out ways that I could get high that wouldn't show up on a drug test. So abusing Benadryl, Dramamine, Robitussin. So that's what I mean by like it, it, you know, I think that that revved up my disease. So by, you know, by 16 is when I really feel like I crossed that line from, Mm -hmm. there's an expression that says that alcoholics are pickles. So once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it can never go back to being a cucumber again. And for me, I feel like I really crossed that line at 16. And every time I drank, which um, has a lot to do with with toxic shame, um, I became 
a nightmare. Like every negative personality trait within me would be magnified to the millionth degree. And I just sucked to be around. Like I was the girl that got kicked out of the party only to return to the party, cause a big scene and have uh-huh. everyone at the party get arrested for underage drinking. Like that was who <laughs> I was. But were so you aware at the time, Andrea, were you aware when you were wasted uh, that you became someone uh, that you probably no, didn't No, I didn't like. want to be that way. Okay. You know, no, I didn't want to. But you know what it was, was, you know, it's in the seventh grade, you know, I essentially became the school slut overnight. And mm-hmm. I became the girl that nobody wanted to be friends with and the girl that nobody was allowed to be friends with. Okay. So I think in a way that with those personality traits coming out, and that's what I'm talking about with the toxic shame, I think a lot of it was, I'm going to, lean into this role. I'm the girl that nobody likes. Mm -hmm. And also as a protective measure of like, I'm going to make you not like me so that you can't then decide that you don't like me. I don't know. It's just kind of like leaning into that role. Um, So, but but I think that that's a large reason why I was able to get sober so young too. So I I became a daily drinker at 17, um, like 18 around the clock, but my world became so isolated, you know? And I think that that's a large reason why I got, was able to get sober was because I literally could not have a relationship with anyone. Like nobody wanted me to be in their life. So, and do you, you know, do it's you, like, I'm, do you think that you had to hit rock bottom to bounce back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's interesting. So, you know, you've said that you've read the big book. Yes. Um, And it talks about how the great obsession of every alcoholic is that one day they can return to controlling their drinking. You know, for many alcoholics, it's 10, 20, 30 years where drinking is fun and not a problem. But for me, it became just problems really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that because I don't have the experience. I don't have to deal with the fantasy in my head of like, Oh, I'm just going to go back to the time when it was fun because it never was fun. I've never had just two drinks. I don't understand just having two drinks. So I have zero experience Mm -hmm. of drinking and using drugs with it not being a problem. Like it was, and it's also all over my family, but yeah, I had to, I had to hit rock bottom and for me, it was like, I was going to die. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I was going to just live a life of just being completely alone and isolated. Um, so yeah, it was September 13th, 2008 was when, um, I got sober at 19 and, um, it has just been, I'm I'm so grateful and blessed. And the catalyst as well, I'm just, again, the catalyst was, did you feel, uh, Andrea, that you'd reached the point of no return? And if you did not put Humpty Dumpty back together again, you would be in a coffin or, um, I just don't want to repeat the dysfunctionality of what I see around me or a mixture or neither. <laughs> it's all multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> Neither nor <laughs> AP, but not C. <laughs> um, so I guess the thing too, that uh, I'm grateful for my parents was sending me to all these rehabs and stuff like that. It was because the seed was planted that recovery was possible. Okay. You know, I've been going to, to 12 step meetings since I was 13 years old. Um, I actually went to my first meeting when I was in the sixth grade with my mother 
And um, I was not drinking yet at the time. And, and I raised my hand. Anyone could share. And I raised my hand. I was like, hi, I'm Andrea. And I don't want to be an alcoholic. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. wow. And then like a year later, I was in rehab. So <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, I knew I've always that's kind of like the good thing is that like I've I've never not known what alcoholism is. Right. Like I, I often and remember, like reminded of how many people don't understand this and that it's a disease. But for me, it's like, I've always known what it is. I've always known that it's a disease. And I've also always known that there is a solution. So for me, it was just getting to that point where, um, this doesn't, this doesn't work. Like I, I'm miserable, you know, it, no fun, um, just extremely painful and just yep, total isolation. Yep. And it was like, um, I didn't, I didn't want to kill myself, but I mm -hmm. sure as hell didn't want to live. And so it was just like, this was kind of my, you know, kind of my last, like, let's give this a go, you know, like so literally. Here, here, here's what I'm interested. I mean, there's a lot about what you're saying. It's interesting, but there are hundreds of people that are listening to this podcast right now that, um, because there's a lot of pain out there and because there's the need to, to, uh, camouflage the pain with various addictions. Mm -hmm. Is, do you think that your journey and do you think that what you went through is uh, germane to people that might be addicted to um, gambling, or pornography or, um, you know, uh, prescription, uh, prescription uh, pills or is it unique to alcoholism? No, I think that it's I think it's all the same disease, in, yeah. in my opinion. And honestly, um, what I really feel like it boils down to is that it's really not the disease of alcoholism. It's really not the disease of addiction, but I truly believe that it's the disease of family dysfunction yep. and that this stuff just gets passed from generation to generation 100%. and it manifests in different ways. So um, some people might not be showing any necessary like addiction symptoms or anything, but for me, like that is, that is what it boils down to. And then that's what I, that's what I discovered at, at nine years sober when I hit, you know, this horrible emotional bottom and even more pain than I was when I hit my, you know, rock bottom from drugs and alcohol. It, it is this, it's this faulty programming that occurs mm -hmm. as kids, yep. these faulty beliefs, faulty, faulty fears, um, that just play in our heads our whole life. And we don't have any idea, sorry, that that's what, what's going on. Um, so you, you know, at the time, cause I'm, I always think, okay, so there's a list, there's someone driving right now on the 405 freeway and they're saying, wow, this is what they're thinking, Andrew. They're thinking, this is amazing that this woman is so sincere, so open. I wish I had the guts. They're also thinking, huh? Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, they don't think you're crazy. I'm telling you, they don't think you're crazy. You're very, you, your, your authenticity is so clear. They don't think you're crazy. You're very articulate. You clearly have got it together. That, but they're also thinking, oh, one second, is everything going on around me? Was everything in my formative years normal? I, I mean, that's the scary, that's the scary seed you're planting in a lot of people's heads. So... That is a large reason why I wanted to make this podcast, right? Yep. Is for, and even people who didn't grow up without, I, I mean, I say, yeah, I didn't, I knew it had been less than ideal. Um, clearly I had alcoholism, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a big deal. But um, I think that there's other families that don't even include 
uh, alcoholism or addiction that can be just as dysfunctional and that can produce the same adult child. And so the reason that I really wanted to create this podcast is for people out there who maybe were in the same shoes that I once was oblivious to the true impact that their childhood had on them and the negative ways that this is impacting their lives as adults. Um, oblivious that the recurring issues that they encounter in life are actually a result of unresolved childhood trauma. And so what could this look like that's maybe less, um, you know, less dramatic? Having parents that are super controlling. Okay. okay. Um, having a parent that is hypercritical of you, that is a perfectionist. It puts it has unrealistic expectations for you that are unattainable. Parents that only acknowledge you when it relates to, you know, um, achievements like sports or school and not acknowledging you for who you truly are as a person. Um, and you, would you categorize, Andrea, all of the people who had those kind of backgrounds with, they, they could fall within the rubric of an adult child? Like there's someone on the freeway right now, Andrea, yeah. that's saying, one second, my father didn't hit on me. My, my, there's no alcohol. Um, my, uh, one of my parents is a bit of a workaholic and, and okay. So my mom was, uh, you know, I was the trophy kid and I was pushed around and, and I was the kid that got into the private school and, 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 you know, and when things weren't going right, they, uh, they weren't so lovey dovey to me. Am I? The question is not, is, was my family dysfunctional? The question is not trying to figure out whether your family is dysfunctional. The question is, so there is, there is something called the laundry. So there is this program called um, adult children of, of alcoholics and yep, it's expanded correct. to dysfunctional families. So basically what the, what that means is um, kind of like what I'm talking about is, is uh, the, the faulty beliefs, the faulty programming that occurs from growing up in a dysfunctional family. And basically what that does is that results in certain characteristics and traits. Okay. So there is something called the laundry list, which that, is yeah. the 14 common characteristics of an adult child. Um, there's also another list, um, by this woman named Dr. Janet Wotitz. But when yep. I read that laundry list, so I think that's what it's about. It's not about f figuring out whether your family is dysfunctional. It's looking at the characteristics and seeing if you relate. Cause that's what it was for me. I read this list and I was like, holy shit. You know, I had a spiritual experience. So I think people can spin their wheels. They could spend forever like an existential crisis of was my family dysfunctional or not? It's not about that. It's first it's seeing, okay, you know, do I, do I relate to any of these traits? And then what the process of, and a lot of it is trauma work, but essentially what the process of adult, adult child recovery is, is looking at these traits and then finding out what is the root of it? You know, what, when so did I experience it? Yep, Let me just quickly fly through a few of them. Yes. Uh, impulsive behavior, overdeveloped sense of responsibility, uh, overreaction to changes uh, out of their control, uh, conceived victimhood, judgmental behavior, uh, approval seeking, uh, substance use disorders, a difficulty in romantic relationships. So these are the, I, I've got to believe there's a ton of people that would check off a few, quite a few of these boxes. Yes. There, they should, I can send you the link, but there's this thing called like uh, 25 questions. Am I, am I an adult child? But I would say the biggies are people pleasing, approval seeking, terrified of any personal criticism. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the biggest ones were being terrified of, you know, abandonment and being willing to hold on to a relationship, like even really shitty ones, you mm -hmm. know? So it's that sort of stuff. 
Um, so I think that that's what it's about is seeing if you identify with these traits um, instead of trying to figure out whether or not your family was dysfunctional. And I guess the other thing too is like, the biggest thing is this isn't about blame. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what I want people to realize too. Um, I don't blame my parents for anything, you know, it's unfortunate, but this isn't, this is the disease of family dysfunction. My parents are a product of their upbringing, you know, and they were just doing the best that they could with what they had. Um, and I it's think that, that is the case for most of us. It's um, amazing that you say that because there's a ton of people that would, they would say, I hate my parents Look what they did to me. We are all just a product, right. you know, like our, this, this shit doesn't just pop out of nowhere. 100%. This stuff gets passed from generation to generation. 100%. And this is this adult child movement and all this stuff, even like AA and it mm-hmm. hasn't been around that long. That's true. Um, and we're just starting to understand the impact that childhood trauma has on the brain. So all of this is just, is just new, um, newer. So yeah, I don't. And also when we blame that blocks us from healing as well, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, so <clears throat> Jeffrey and Lisa, two fictitious people are on the free when they say one second, I've got this victim victimhood mentality. I'm always trying to please people. I do things impulsively. One second. What do I do now? Read a book. <laughs> I would read. There's so many. I would read the adult child book. Um, I think it's about gathering more information. Okay. Um, seeing if you can relate. So even though, uh, so adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, even though that is like a 12 step group, um, I don't really consider myself part of that group, but the book is amazing. It is so good and everyone should read it. It is, it blew my mind. Um, you said the book, you mean adult child. Yeah. Adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. It's like the big red book. There's so many, there's amazing. I mean, I related to that even more than the big book. I mean, it blew my mind. Um, but this is what I'll tell you. Okay. And you might've heard this in the podcast. So, so after Brian, number one, I have this realization that this is my problem, right? Yeah. I read this book and I talked to this woman and she's, and I, because I had heard her share her experience with this. And I said, I read the book and this is amazing. And she goes, Andrea, this is going to take you years to work through. Like, I just mm-hmm. want you to know that, you know, she's like, you can get to the other side of this, right. but it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work. And I yep. thought years, I'm 28. I don't have years. I, need to have this fixed yesterday <laughs> at most a few months. And I really just hope to myself that her childhood had been way worse than mine had been, you know? And so I was like, I, I'm just going to take off a year off from dating. So it's like, I read this book. I'm yeah. going to take a year off from dating. And guess what? Enter Brian number two, <laughs> crazier than ever, the most painful relationship of my life. And why is this? Because this is trauma. Like I, I experienced trauma, so I didn't know about complex PTSD, yeah. but essentially that is yeah. multiple traumatic um, experiences. And, and that can just be even having a parent that's hypercritical of you, like yeah. having that occur to yeah. you on a repeated basis, like that can result in complex PTSD, but it's because I had to do the work. And that's when I found my therapist who literally has saved my life. Um, I Googled adult children of alcoholics therapists. I had been working with another therapist who was wonderful, 
but this wasn't her area. Like this wasn't her area of expertise. And so I was, I was hesitant to start over with a new therapist because like, I have so much to catch her up on, but, but I found this, um, I found, uh, Mary and, um, I started working with her twice a week and this woman has saved my life. You know, this woman has saved my life and the past three plus years have been just the most transformational, um, incredible experience of my life. And which has kind of like brought me to, to where we are today, but a large part of this, and this is true of every adult child is that what happens, like what the core problem of it is, and these characteristics are representative of it, but it is, it is our true selves go into hiding. You know, mm-hmm. we learn that it's not okay to be ourselves. We're not accepted and fully accepted and loved by our parents. So this false self is created. And that's what those traits are. Those traits are representative of the false self. When so, you say, Andrew, when you say that Mary saved your life, do you mean that you, you started loving yourself again or you stopped blaming or you started understanding? I started rewiring all this stuff. It's just like identifying what were these faulty beliefs. These, for example, like we can talk about it when it relates to men, right? I realized that, you know, the sense of purpose that I felt growing up, taking care of my alcoholic mother, like that caused me to be attracted to those that I could take care of. Yep. I would imagine my dad, um, my dad being emotionally unavailable to me Mm -hmm. and truly the only times I felt emotionally connected to my dad was when my mom was drunk and emotionally unavailable to him. Like that caused me to be attracted to emotionally unavailable men and that my dad me feeling like my dad always chose work over me. Like that caused me to be attracted to guys that never made me a priority in their lives. And so it's just all of these things and realizing Amazing. how much of an impact everything had. And just, it's just, it's, it's, it's identifying the events. It's reprocessing the events. It's because I never, what a lot of this trauma stuff is within childhood is like, we have, we have the event, but our brain isn't processed enough for us to like actually process the emotions and what happens. So it's, that's why these it's, it's just childlike they're ingrained in us. Right. So it's, it's being able to like relook at these events and process them through an adult brain and lens. It's amazing because the, the, uh, I just, I gave a talk recently um, with some statistic about the spike of uh, prescription drugs, anti-anxiety, the, just this whole pandemic has been a, a nightmare with mental health. Um, and I think people, a lot of people think, you know what, it's just easier for me to just sit and be wasted. It's just easier for me to just stare at a blank screen than this woman's asking me for yeah, reading books. I've got to go to shrink. I've got to rewire. It's a lot of work. I know. And that's why... That's why I'm so grateful for all of the pain that I experienced, yeah. right? Because it forced me yeah. to do the work. Yeah. You know? At a, at a pretty young age. Yeah. I mean, it, but it literally, I mean, I felt like my life depended upon it, you know? Um, Are you at a point it, right now, and if I'm out of line, kick me? No, up to that with me. <laughs> Are you at a point where you feel that you could date a guy who you don't have to take care of. You don't have to nurse you, 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 uh, you know, it's a, who's got it together. Who's who is knowing. Yeah. An alcoholic. Yes. Here's the thing though. You can obviously tell I'm, I got a big personality, right? So it's no, going to be very, <laughs> it's going to be like a very strong and confident man to be able yes. to handle all of this. Yep. Um, 
Yeah. So I have, you know, I took, I took about two, a year and a half off from dating and I've done like a little bit since then. But like I said, part of uh, my realization was how much I'd been selling myself short in life. And so I've really been my focus um, in creating a fulfilling and meaningful Mm -hmm. life. But um, I think it is going to be hard to find somebody who's going to kind of be able to match me on the self-actualization level. Yeah. I think it's out there and I I just. Out of my way. And, uh, and, and my sense is, Andrea, you should for sure not compromise. You should for sure not be hanging out with creeps anymore. And you for sure. For Don't sure, worry, I'm not. I'm done with all that. <laughs> um, okay. Let's go back to what was, okay. What was the real trigger to you launching this podcast? Because it's, it's, a, it's a very unusual and I think a very courageous podcast. And, and in a perfect world. If if I wired you uh, $300,000 and I said, just you have to use this to increase your reach on your podcast, what's the goal Mm. in a perfect world? So, yeah. So a couple months into my uh, my adult child healing journey, I'm sitting at work. I'm a I'm an auditor at a big four public accounting firm. And all of a sudden I have this realization. You could have a a career that you enjoy. (laughs) It was like, I had never considered that before. Um, and so I had this realization of kind of the, the strength and the potential that I had within and how I was letting it go to waste. But um, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what, what to do. And so it was yeah. like, I kind of embarked on this journey of finding my higher calling, my true purpose. Why was I brought to this earth? Um, And so it's just been kind of like a a couple year journey of just of learning about myself and my strengths and really just the universe showing me so many signs. And um, what I learned about myself is that my gift is my, my vulnerability and my authenticity. And so what started to occur was that I just had all these crazy interactions with strangers Mm -hmm. because I, I will tell you right away, like, it's not like in a creepy way, but like the, I'll start talking, I'll talk to anybody and I never start a conversation with just like, hi, I'm Andrea. It's usually in some like way as if I've known you my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. You can talk, I will talk to anybody and something, something will occur. And it's like a little wink from the universe that I'm supposed to share something vulnerable or authentic about myself. And then what happens is just 10, 15 minutes later, I have people saying to me, I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. I just met you 15 minutes ago. And I just have had that experience, um, so many times. And I just truly began to see that that was my gift. It is Um, a gift. And I, and, and I I think it, as I said to you off air, I think you're sincere. I think you're authentic. I think you can also empathize because you've been through a lot of pain. You're so atypical of, you're an accountant. I know. Well, not anymore. I'm a recovering CPA, but yeah, I, no, CPA, I, told, I don't, I mean, what a waste. It's because you're, you're such a free spirit. It's so different to, you know, um, you know, where's your 1099. Um, but I think that is a reason I found in my journey that People who help other people in the most profound way are people who can say, I know how you feel. I've been there. You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But you- and it's and not just that, like the thing that's so important for me and that I wanted to share is that like, none of this stuff is embarrassing. 
No. Like none of it, all this pain, everything that I did, all of the ridiculous ways that I behaved in relationship. I mean, I'm nine years sober and I'm pulling a guy out of a bar at 11 in the morning, but like none of this is embarrassing and shameful because it is all this, my childhood, it has shaped me into the person that 100%. I am today. And I'm so grateful for all of it. You know, it, it's just, um, so yeah, the podcast is like, I just wanted to share my vulnerable and authentic self, but also be able to laugh at it. And I think that's what makes it a little bit unique. I really haven't mm -hmm. found another podcast that kind of has my style where it's, it's super raw, it's super vulnerable, um, but it's also humorous, but not in like a self-deprecating way either. You know, you know what I thought? It's funny you say that because I, t I tell you what you've got, and I'm also a big fan of this uh, school of thought. You definitely don't play victim. You don't do the woe is me. There's no pity parties that you're throwing. Um, and I think, and, and I think you genuinely, just to go back to my question, what was the, in the best case scenario, I think, and if I'm out of line, let me know. I think that you want to do in your own way, something to ensure that people don't have to go through the pain that you went through a and B people who did grow up, um, you know, with any kind of volatility should know that there's 100% there's light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there's light in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also just the ability to help other people. Um, once we heal, we get to share this message, right? Like that's such a, a big truth. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big part of that. And also just hoping to inspire other people to live their as their authentic selves and um, to be able to laugh at themselves. And, you know, like I will, like I told you, I'll gladly tell you, like I peed my pants at mm -hmm. Ruth's Chris one time, like really, really <laughs> a lot. And I didn't have anything to cover it up. And just, <laughs> yeah, it just with social media and with everything, it's just, I understand I'm not everyone's cup of tea and like, I'm okay with that. Right. Like people are either like a no, big, very, 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 or they're not. You're very true to yourself. You, and, and people know if you're trying to be all things to all people, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything and you've got no backbone. And it's very, it's very, and real. I think that's why it's been amazing just the way, cause I mean, I didn't have any sort of a built in following or anything. And just within two months, I mean, I was on the fucking Dr. Drew podcast yesterday. Oh, like, how it was just, it? I meant to ask you. It's crazy. It was amazing. So it was so cool. And so, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. How was it? Was it uh, more Dr. Drew was asking about your story or about? And you yeah, were totally yeah. And he's so passionate about that. He's so passionate about this yeah, topic, sure. specifically about the adult child stuff. So yeah, yeah. it is crazy. Because like I told you, I, this past three years, I have been trying to figure out like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And the whole time I didn't know what I was working towards, mm -hmm. but I could feel it. Like I knew that I was headed towards something, yep. you know, and, you, and, and this, and this and is your time all just came together. And then yeah, just two months after launching, like, and just all, all of the messages that I'm like, this isn't just me creating another podcast where I'm just talking about like reality TV, which I love reality no. TV. And that would be no, great no, too. No, no, no. This, is, this is, 29 years of, of pain and then this mm -hmm. transformation and then this realization that I'm not living my life to its fullest potential. And then to put this together and then to be like on the Dr. Do podcast and the hundreds of messages that I've nope. received from listeners. Like it is just insane. I'll tell you what it I think amazing. it is. If I may, I think number one, there are thousands of people 
that you're speaking to because there's t- a ton of people, you know, th- that have had heavy stuff happening in their formative years. That's number one. Number two, your genuineness is such that it doesn't sound like you've got this like agenda, like at the end of the podcast. And by the way, if you like, you buy my book. Blah, 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 that, that's not who you are. No. You know, I think that I think I that, couldn't even be that if I wanted to. <laughs> I think you're so real and 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 that rawness. Um, but you, but I also can see you've turned the corner big time. And I, and if you know, as someone who just, I'm a very intuitive person. I think that I think you like yourself. I think you're fantastic. Yeah, you know, <laughs> people are like, "Are you able to like enjoy the podcast?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think it's really good. <laughs> I listen to it." <laughs> <laughs> do you find your, Do you find it therapeutic? Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, the other thing that's really interesting too is that I've always had kind of a, a difficult relationship with creativity, or I never considered myself to be mm-hmm. creative. So that's also just been it's yeah, it's just been like a really interesting process. Um you know, for, for those three years, like up until creating this podcast, I started and stopped so many creative projects and I couldn't bring anything to the finish line. And it was because that was just preparing me for this podcast, you know? So so here's what I would, I I try and ask all our guests. And I think that it's, it's, you know, want to be respectful of your time. And I think this is all sort of all leading to these three points. Point number one is if you could give a TED talk and there were three major take, three major take homes. Why didn't you tell me this beforehand? So I thought about it. (laughs) Come on. So here's the question. The question is if you could give a TED talk and let's just it down to really three major messages, three take homes that you, you, having been through an extremely tough journey have learned and would like to impart three pearls of wisdom. I think, like I said before that, um, that pain is often the catalyst to, Mm -hmm. to great transformation. Um, and just really embracing that, you know, it's much easier said than done. Right. But I think instead, like when we were going through a difficult situation, instead of saying, why is this happening to me? You know, what was yep. me? It's thinking, um, what, what is the lesson that I'm supposed, yep. supposed to learn here? Um, to what obviously that, that's much diff, much easier di- said than done. Yep. Um, especially if you're, I think the biggest thing is if you're if reoccurring patterns, sure. <laughs> you know, reoccur- reoccurring problems, like obviously you're not learning your, and it usually takes me many times to learn a lesson. So, um, yeah. So I think that, you know, that, um, that pain is the catalyst to change, mm-hmm. um, that we need to confront change opportunities to grow and become better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I guess just embracing our pain story and embracing our shame and, yep. um, and really just embracing and owning, um, I don't want to say our darker sides, but, um, our full story, just embracing and owning mm-hmm. our stories and being proud of that and owning that. And, um, yeah, using it as a way to not just better yourself, but, but improve the world. Right. That's kind of what my journey is right now is finding out how do I, what is the apex of my personal fulfillment and my contribution right. to the world? Um, so I guess that would be and if, and if you could meet anyone on the planet dead or alive, you get 30 minutes alone, who would that person be and why? Hmm. <laughs> well, 
well, I really would like to meet Michael Phelps. <laughs> I'd really like to marry Michael Phelps if he ever gets divorced. Very interesting. <laughs> um, of- yeah, I was a swimmer too. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I still have records from... That's like my one regret from my drinking is that I, yeah, I was a really, really, really talented swimmer. Like I was still wow. like making it to regionals and stuff when I was like drunk. So I was pretty That's good. That's insane. <laughs> We're going to meet Michael because of his swing or because he struggled in terms of mental health. And- well, that too, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hear more about his his journey as well. I just think he's so cool. Um, he cool. Who else? I mean, Joe Rogan, I have to be honest. <laughs> I just think he's amazing. And yeah. I yeah, just, I, think I love good, what he's doing. Show. I love that he is uncancelable. I love yeah. that he is so open-minded and I really just mm-hmm. feel like he goes into every conversation just with an open mind and willing to learn more. And totally. he's like, that's my dream job. Like, that's what I love is I crave just authentic, vulnerable totally. conversation. I don't like fluff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's I just, funny. I love it. And I also love to, I know I'm interested in everything and anything probably cause I like to talk so much and I don't want to ever not be included in a conversation, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I would just, I mean, I just think everything that he does is, uh, is amazing. So there's no question that a lot of the, uh, listeners, you know, your, your sincerity, your rawness, your, uh, your vulnerability definitely hits the spot. People want to find a little bit more about you, about the podcast, about, where can they find you, your URL, you know, just because I think, I think that, that you, um, you're going you're to hit the spot with a lot of listeners. Well, I hope so. This is not where could they, where did they need to find me? So, <laughs> um, so my, my website is adultchildpodcast.com. Um, and then I'm also on um, Instagram and TikTok at adultchildpod. So adultchild and then P-O-D. Um, please send me messages, please email me. You can email me at Andrea at adultchildpodcast.com. I really, I want to hear from people. I mean, honestly, this is, this is why I did it was to connect with other people. So if you have questions, insights, comments, I would love to hear from people. I always respond. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity and, um, this was so fun. We could talk for hours. You can. So, oh, <laughs> I, and you know, I mean, what I'm about to say, as I said, off, offline, I'm not someone who, falsely flatters i think that you you're right i think that it's sort of a, a divine calling where you have become uh, a voice of a lot of people who have been through vicissitudes and have been through pain and there's a lot of people out, out there that might be saying wow i want to be like andrew ashley the truth be said you've paid the price <laughs> you've got to go through uh you know a, a lot of people would not necessarily want to of taking the beating you have, but you've come out the other side and the amazing thing is you better, not better. Yes, I'm, I'm not bitter. <laughs> so I want to tell well, thank our, you our, so much. I love this. Thank you so much. I really, I, I appreciate that. And no, I can tell you're being genuine and I would never want anyone to tell me that they just like me just to tell me that. And I could tell if you were full of shit, I would be able to yeah, tell. Yeah, no, so. for sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally genuine and I, and I want, uh, I want, I want you to, your, your voice to carry because um, it's the voice of a lot of people. I, I speak to tons of people, you know, that are in pain and there's, there's not that many people that have, you know, have gone through your catharsis metamorphosis where you're comfortable talking about it. You can articulate it. Um, I think, you know, this is your calling. I can hear, I can feel. Um, so adultchildpodcast.com, check it out. And uh, Andrew Ashley has been an honor and a pleasure. I'm sure there's no question. We will, uh, our paths will cross and I look forward to 
collaborating in some way to make the world a better place. Me too. Thank you so much. Cheers. Excellent. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.